Welcome back to Extra Butter. It is episode 11, and the boys are seeing red today. We will be reviewing the 2022 flick Turning Red, as well as the 1975 Italian horror film Deep Red. Uh, before we hop into that, how is everyone doing? What's everyone been watching? Ezra, what have you been up to? Hey, Josh. Great to be here. Great to be back after taking a week-long hiatus. I appreciate that. You know, you let me really enjoy my spring break. Speaking of spring break, it was my spring break, so I had a lot of time to watch some films. So I'm not going to go into them, but I'll just rattle them off real quick. As I saw over the past two weeks or so, I've seen Spider-Man No Way Home, Moon, The Killing, 12 Angry Men, Blinded by the Light, Friday the 13th, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, 16 Candles, Invasion of the Bystatchers, Original, uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines, Together Together, Blazing Saddles, Empire of the Sun, The Lost Boys, and Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. All of these, except for um, 16 Candles, were really enjoyable films. And, got a couple uh, five-stick films up there. For you, maybe. Not for me. I didn't give any of these five sticks. The closest I came is I gave 12 Angry Men four and a half. It is considered one of the best films ever made, and if you watch, get a chance to watch it, I highly recommend it. Um, and then this week, too, you know, uh, maybe I'll go back to the theaters and I'm hoping to see maybe everything everywhere all at once. Super excited about that film. And I've actually kind of really wanted to see The Lost City. It looks fun. I'm really excited for everything everywhere all at once. I'm not sure when it comes to our markets, though. I think in two weeks, like the second week of April. But uh Actually, a friend of mine who's in the movie biz reached out to me and said to drop everything I'm doing and see it when it comes out. So I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, I haven't really had a chance to watch a ton of stuff. I've been pretty busy uh, doing a little traveling for school at one point. I did watch The Player, which was my first foray into the filmography of Robert Altman. I enjoyed it. I rewatched Hell or High Water. Still very good. Uh, I've been meaning to start the Lakers series on HBO that Ezra mentioned a little while ago. Uh, I haven't had the chance yet. Ezra, have you been keeping up with that? So I'm one episode behind, but I'm enjoying it so far. It's definitely one of these shows where if you don't like Adam McKay's shtick, you're not going to like this show. But if you don't mind it, I think it's enjoyable watch. I'll have to check it out. Lenny, what have you been up to? Uh, not much. Uh like yourself, I was traveling a bit this past week, so I wasn't able to spend a whole lot of time watching the old silver screen. I was able to catch Windfall on Netflix. Um, it's a recent movie. I was either 2021 or 2022. Uh, Netflix original uh, starring Jason Segal and Jesse Plemons, and I forget the name of the female lead. It's a very character-driven uh, movie. Um, there's only three uh, characters. You know, there's, a, there's actually a fourth, but he's just in there for like 30 seconds. Um, highly recommend it. Uh, it's very, very intense, not for the faint of heart or faint of stomach. Um, it's interesting seeing Jason Segal step out of his uh, shtick as just like the goofy, lanky guy and play a more dramatic and intense character. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. Definitely recommend checking it out. Well, speaking of checking out, we all checked out the 2022 film Turning Red for this week's pod. What do you guys think about that segue? 
not your best work, but let's roll with it. Okay, so turning red 2022 Disney Pixar. May Lee is a confident and dorky 13-year-old torn between staying her mother's dutiful daughter and the chaos of adolescence. Her protective, if not slightly overbearing mother, Ming, voiced by Sandra Oh, is never far from her daughter, an unfortunate reality for the teenager. As if changes to her interests, relationships, and body weren't enough, wherever she goes she gets and gets too excited, which is practically always, she poofs into a giant red panda. So that is the s- summary of Turning Red. Uh, you guys want me to go ahead and go first? Go for it. Uh, so first of all, I think I judge animated and family movies on a slightly different scale than I would like a more serious movie. And Pixar obviously has a record of making some absolute classics, you know, Toy Story, Coco, Inside Out. I mean, the list goes on and on. They kind of work for both kids and adults. So I usually give them a little bit of higher level of scrutiny. Uh, And while I enjoyed Turning Red, I don't think it was anywhere near the top, top level of Pixar films for me. I thought the first act was really promising. I thought it dealt with some slightly more adult or teenage themes than we see in some other Pixar movies. And I thought the emphasis was clearly on the diversity. You know, the main character's friend group features uh, a Chinese teenager, a Vietnamese teenager, an Indian teenager, and a Jewish teenager, who, of course, they make into a weirdo. Don't need, don't know why they needed to do that, but whatever. Uh, the first act was really promising to me, but I thought it went downhill from there. I thought the mother was almost a little bit too overbearing and maybe took it a little too far removed from reality for me. That being said, I guess the entire premise is sort of bonkers, so maybe that should be expected. Uh, I was a little bit confused, actually, by the central message of the movie, and this might dabble into spoilers just a little bit, which I guess could be, you know, always honor your family and friends, control your emotions, but also Malin's choice to retain the panda power kind of confused me. Like, are we supposed to follow all of our vices against the advice of our elders, no matter how destructive they may be? And no matter what rift it drives between us and our family, are we supposed to exploit our differences to earn money? I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it because it is a kid's movie. Uh, I thought all the voice performances were really good, especially Sandra Oh as the mother, who, by the way, excellent actress. If you haven't seen, uh, to me, her breakout performance is in a movie that, uh, for what, Sideways, I couldn't remember it for a sec, Sideways, the Paul Giamatti movie. Excellent, excellent movie. But uh, she's excellent in that. So anyway, I thought Sandra Oh and Rosalie Chiang, is that how it's pronounced, Ezra? You're the expert on pronunciation. Yep, you're giving me the thumbs up. As May, uh, I thought they were both excellent voice performances. I thought the script was maybe a little too extreme at points. You know, May May was a little overly obnoxious at points, and Ming was a little bit too overbearing. Uh, I also thought at the end when May Lin says, my panda, my choice, was a little bit too on the nose and didn't feel very organic and almost felt like it was breaking the fifth wall. I thought maybe that was just trying to pay homage to like people on Twitter. I don't know. I don't think it needed that. Uh, Overall, I think it's a fine movie. I wish it would have continued on the bold premise uh, that started in the first act. I don't think it's anywhere near the best of Pixar, but it's definitely a very passable film. Lenny, what did you think? Yeah, I, I agree with you for the most part. Um, it kind of felt more like a DreamWorks movie uh, than a Pixar movie because, uh, you know, not to knock Pixar because they certainly do have memorable characters and that really stand out and stand the test of time, but they tend to be more subdued, whereas DreamWorks tends to have more caricatures. Um, 
So take for existence, or for example, um, uh, May's mother, or May May's mother. She didn't really like what, like like you said, what was her shtick? It, it didn't really fit in in the broader scope of the movie. I think it, it kind of felt like. So her, her whole gimmick was that she was supposed to be the opposite of Malin. She was supposed to be like what happens when you over suppress your individual yearnings and over prioritize traditionalism and over serving your family's desires um but in this portrayal it kind of felt like a caricature of a caricature it's like how do we write this character in the most stereotypical way um i just thought it was kind of ham-fisted it didn't really work for me um but moving on anyone who listens to this podcast will know i'm an animation nut and you don't get much better with animation than Pixar. Uh, they're the cream of the crop, undoubtedly. Um, and as my esteemed colleague Josh said, this movie was very mid. Um, the animation itself rules, and it's frankly just astounding to see how far Pixar has come animation-wise. Like if you look at the early uh, renderings from Toy Story, the children in the background of Andy's birthday party were just you know copy-paste renderings of Andy because it didn't have the technology to make individual children unique. Now they can do literally anything. It, it's amazing just how far the technology with Pixar has come. Um, but uh, moving beyond that, it just, the visuals were astounding. The writing just was kind of mediocre, um, but contrasting with Josh a bit, I thought the overall message was fine. Um, I appreciated that it told the story of, uh, like what a first generation Westerner might experience when coming from a non-Western country. So unlike the rest of her, or not the rest of her friend group, but some of her friend group, Maylin isn't from, you know, a European country. She's a first generation Chinese immigrant in a Western nation. So she's going to have more barriers to her assimilation experience than what her friend group might have, or what her peers in, I think it was Toronto might have. Um, and I thought they delivered that narrative really tastefully. I thought it was pretty unique. It's showing how, you know, she is growing up in a very, in a civilization that is emphasizing individualism, how you are in the West, you're supposed to pursue your interests, your desires, et cetera. But her culture is one of, you know, reverence to tradition. Like she inherits this panda because of her ancestors and their inherit and their genetic or myth mystical history, I guess is a better way to put that. Um, and I was really kind of apprehensive about how Disney would kind of give this story. Um, you know, like Josh said, they might've been pandering to Twitter a bit with that, my panda, my choice line. And I was kind of worried that the whole plot would just be kind of, you know, doing that whole thing with the assimilation narrative. But I thought it was actually a very touching story overall. Um, just the writing just really wasn't all there. It was pretty touch and go at points. You know, there were times where it was pretty funny, pretty um, engaging. And other times where it was just filler is what it felt like. Very well animated filler. Um, however, I've had the song Nobody Like You by the movie's boy band Four Town stuck in my head entirely too long at this point. And with that, I will pass it off to Ezra. Thanks, Len. So, yeah, Josh and Len say a lot of things I agree with. I agree. Uh, nobody like you is a bop, you know, constantly going through my head. I haven't thought about you know, that song once since I watched the film. 
Josh doesn't think about it, but Josh is a, a Billy Eilish hater, so he can't appreciate good music. I'm not a <laughs> hater. I just don't necessarily understand her music. I have nothing against her. Wishes her well. Just doesn't. Just not a fan. He doesn't stand. Right. Yeah, I think you that's know, fair. Josh, you just just more of a T Swift fan. Man, you don't get what she's going through, bro. I yeah. like Olivia Rodrigo. Isn't that like another angsty teen group act? Not group. Perhaps. I'm not a, a teen, so I, I don't know what teens are into these days. Just just say um, your review. My bad, Ezra. Go ahead. <laughs> I think I think it was important that we discuss this. But yes, I will get to my review. Uh, I like this movie. Um, like Josh and Len have said already, it is definitely not one of Pixar's best. Um, but Pixar always makes good to great films. I don't know if I've ever seen a Pixar film and just thought this was a bad film. The Good I Dinosaur. Seen, I haven't seen The Good Dinosaur, so maybe that's why. Abysmal. <laughs> well, Len is the expert, so I take his word for it. Um, but personally, I don't find any of their movies after Toy Story through on that truly amazing level, uh, which is pretty crazy because I actually find all the movies they made between Toy Story and Toy Story 3, except Cars and Bugs Life, maybe uh, like top tier in terms of movies. Bugs I'm Life talking... is top tier. We don't slander <laughs> Bugs Life on this podcast. Bugs Life is pretty good, but I consider like Toy Story, Toy Story 2, The Incredibles, Monsters, Inc., Up, Wally, e uh, Finding Nemo. I consider all those like some of the best movies ever made. Uh, not I, I don't want to go that far, but I, I want to say they're really great. And all the movies since Toy Story 3, I think have been good, but not great. Even the ones that a lot of people consider some of the top ones of that period, which are like uh, Inside Out and Soul, really enjoyed, but didn't think they were on the same level as earlier Pixar. Um, let me see. Um, like Len said, from a technical standpoint, this movie really has no faults. Pixar is the best of the best when it comes to computer animation. Uh, Len mentioned it, but like with Toy Story, they were one of the first movies or studios to really get into computer animation because at that time, like Disney itself was still doing 2D hand animation. Um, and they are at the forefront of this technology. They always are so good. They're always developing new techniques. They're always getting better and they always outdo themselves. Kind of off um, that Sorry to interject. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Len. Kind of off that point, something I'm kind of you know, curious about where they're going with animation is it used to be like Disney, just Disney studios were just, you know, animated or, you know, live action. And then Disney Pixar would be, you know, the computer rendered animated movies. Nowadays, it's kind of both where you know, look at Encanto or Frozen. Those aren't Disney Pixar. Those are just Disney. Granted, Disney owns Pixar and they it's a subsidiary studio, but I'm kind of curious what the future of incorporating this technology will be or like what is the major difference between the two in regards to intellectual property moving forward? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And uh, maybe we'll do a deeper dive on this sometime is I do believe that around the time Frozen came out, several high ups at Pixar moved over into Disney animation. And that's why we see a change there. And of course, Disney animation now is also entirely computer animated. There's no hand animation anymore. And that's understandable. It takes a really long time. You have to have a certain degree of artists. Uh, I completely understand like uh, Miyazaki films, speaking of like anime, those are all still hand 
drawn. And that's why it's taken Miyazaki seven plus years to create his most recent film. Um, anyway, back to turning red. Um, I actually disagree with uh, the message that Len and Josh took away from. Not entirely. I think the message that they got from this film, I did see it. But for me, the main messages of this film is there were two messages. There was the human one, which is just basically to grow from past trauma and not let it affect your current relationships. So it's about, uh, it's the very familiar relationship, May's relationship with her mom, Ming, and Ming's then relationship with her mother, Wu. Um, I thought this was really well done. You know, um, Pixar always is really good at these familiar relationships. They're really good at mother-daughter relationships, um, as like in uh, the movie Brave that came out. Um, and I thought that was really well done. The other message that I took away from it was it was basically accepting who you are. Uh, the uh, panda powers that this family has, it's a part of who they are. It's a part of their heritage. Um, I thought it was more of a metaphor for like the panda is part of who they are and they should accept it. And I thought that's why May decided to keep her power because she accepted this was a part of her. But I thought the message would have been stronger in that regards if the whole family or at least uh, her mother had also decided to keep their powers after realizing, um, they say at one point in the movie that before they came to the Canada, you know, seen as a gift, not a curse, but then to conform to Western ways, which is kind of what Len talked about. They had gone rid of it. Um, so I was kind of hoping they'd all just kind of keep it. Um, I thought uh, Ming, like Josh said, I think Ming was too overbearing. I think it's really hard to be that strict and then find redemption. So I think that that was really tough. Um, I thought the portrayal of teenage girls was really good. I grew up with a sister who's just a little bit younger than me. So I lived through, uh, you know, what teenage girls are like. I, uh, Josh also has sisters, so he probably relates. Len just has a brother, so completely unrelatable. No idea what's going on there. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed all the scenes, like when it's just the friends hanging out. I thought that was really fun. Um, the cringe was real, but relatable. And I totally get that. I remember how cringy being a teenager is. I remember that time period in life and I... You know, it's oddly nostalgic, but also oddly traumatizing. Um, I watched the behind the scenes special that they did on Disney Plus, which I really like. I don't know if you guys have checked any of them out, but I always watch the behind the scenes stuff that Disney puts out. That's like one of the things I miss about like buying DVDs is you always got the bonus features. I love the bonus features growing up. And so Disney has been really nice where if you watch any of the Marvel shows or any of the Star Wars stuff they put out. Uh, these behind the scenes looks like the Mandalorian has probably one of the best behind the scenes features I've seen John Favreau and Dave Filoni go through. Anyway, they did a 40 minute like behind the scenes look at this. And I thought it was interesting from a personal standpoint, because it really gets uh, into the team behind the film. But it didn't have any real technical behind the scenes stuff, which is what I really like. I like seeing how movies are made. And this was more about like the people behind it and the decisions they made, but not actually like how these movies come together. So if you're looking at it at that standpoint, um, but I did think it was interesting that uh, the director basically said that she really liked red pandas. She just thought they were cool animals and she liked that they were the same color as the Canadian flag. So she basically decided, I want to make a movie that features red pandas. Like that was her first thought. Like none of this about like a teenage girl, like going through uh, puberty, you know, none of this kind of stuff. It's just, she wanted to have a movie about red pandas. And then somehow this came out of it. Um, both the director and the head of animation on the film are first generation Canadians, or I should say Canadian and American 
both were born in China, but grew up in Canada and the United States, uh, respectively. And so I felt that I really felt their voice in this film, their experiences with this film, especially the head of uh, animation. She talked about that her mother, uh, she had moved as like a, a young teenager, like a tween. And she said that her mother did come and spy on her at school to make sure she was fitting in well. So that scene from the movie is kind of directly inspired by that. Um, I Overall, I think this film is really good. Um, like Josh and Len said a while ago, uh, not their best, but I still think it's really enjoyable. Um, I saw it twice. I saw it once by myself and I saw it once with my parents and my parents really liked it and my sister really liked it. So... Uh, you know, it's a good family movie, and that's what Pixar's are best at being. So this is a movie I think maybe it's a little more mature than some Pixar films we've had before, but I think it's a really enjoyable film that if you're looking for something to watch with the family, uh, please do. What would you what would you give the film? So I'm I gave the film a four. Like I said, I really enjoyed it. My parents enjoyed it. Um but if you do see this film, I recommend if you do have Disney Plus is you should check out Bow, which is the short film that the director behind this, this that's her first foray. That's the success of Bow is why they gave her her own feature. Um, so please check that out if you haven't. It's a really great short film by Pixar. Um, yes, four recommended. How about you, Len? Um, I'm going to give it a three and a half. Uh, I enjoyed it, but you know, the, I have issues with the writing. Uh, it's kind of like the Hulk, but Disney. Thanks for literally just reading off of what I wrote down, because you have no original thoughts of your own. Uh, I'll also give it a three and a half. I thought it was fine. It didn't really do a ton for me. You know, the writing wasn't all there at times. Felt a little bit too Disney by the numbers for me. Uh, overall, a solid movie, but not quite at the level of other Pixar films. So that concludes our review of Turning Red. For our next review today, we are sticking with the colorful theme, and we are reviewing uh, an interesting film, Deep Red. It's a 1976 Italian horror film by Dario Argento. Uh, the plot is essentially a jazz pianist and a wise-cracking journalist are pulled into a complex web of mystery after the former witnesses the brutal murder of a psychic. Ezra, why don't we start out with you? Thanks, Josh. I have some thoughts about this film. Also, before we Go get off. started, so <laughs> before we get started, some people may think, why did you pick Deep Red, an Italian film from horror film from the 70s? while doing your first movie review on a Pixar film called Turning Red, some would say, oh, you just picked it because I was reading the name. I'm going to say that's blatantly false. And hit us up if you understand the deeper connection. Message us on Twitter or whatever. And, uh, you know, if you understand the deep symbolic connection between the two films, um, you might just be smarter than uh, everyone else out there. Yeah, only only true capital C cinema fans can really understand the connection between Turning Red and, and Deep Red. So if you get it, let us know because we get it. Yes, it's we're not we're testing you because we definitely get it. Yeah, we definitely understand. Um, but yeah, so jumping to my review, um, I'd like to preface this by saying horror films are always really hard to judge 
um, like comedies, they're really hard to review and even harder to recommend. It really comes up to personal taste. Horror films also suffer probably the most of any genre from the fact that horror films have changed so much, especially in terms of like gore and intensity over the years. So we can look back at uh, movies from like the 60s, like uh, you watch like Psycho, which is something that terrified people in theaters then, but by today's standards seems fairly tame. Um, this film I'd never heard of before, which is unusual because, you know, I'm a capital C cinema guy myself, but I am rather unfamiliar with Italian film, except for uh, spaghetti westerns. Um, but I saw it had really excellent reviews, both at the time and as like, uh, you know, re-evaluations are also still quite positive. Um, so I was really excited to see it, but I found it all right. Um, you know, it was fine. I didn't really like, I didn't enjoy this film as much as I was hoping I would. Not to say it was a bad film, um, but there were some things I didn't like. Uh, so like the critic consensus, consensus on Rotten Tomatoes is the kinetic camera work and brutal over-the-top gore that made Argento famous is on full display, but the addition of compelling complex story makes Deep Red a masterpiece. And the camera work was great. I did feel that kinetic camera work that they were talking about. The brief violence was gory. There were some pretty intense scenes, um, like uh, the end of the film. That's pretty gross. And I did find some of the stuff in it generally disturbing, like that animated doll thing that runs into the room. I found that really creepy. Um, but I didn't really get the complex or compelling story. Um, I should mention that I watched the American version of this as I could not find the original Italian. And I know that the American version was edited down. I'm not sure exactly what they edited, but I do know it's about 20 to 30 minutes shorter than the Italian version. Um, I also was really confused when I was first watching this movie because I expected it to be dubbed, but I noticed that their lips were syncing up with all of the English which is not what you see in dubbed films, but it everyone was doing an American accent and it felt very off. So I looked it up and it turns out what they do in these Italian films is they record without sound. So it's literally just picture and then they dub in later everything. And so all the Italian actors, while they were, even though they were acting in English, they were speaking English, they're then dubbed over by American actors matching their lips, which I thought was interesting just from a technical perspective. Um, I also think that while we judge films um, by today's standards, like the three of us who are reviewing here, we judge films just based on how we like it. Uh, but it's important to think of historical context. So I read that this was part of a very important genre in Italian film called giallo, which was a wildly popular like uh, crime horror genre that was really popular in the 70s and really brought Italian cinema to uh, a new place. Um, I actually saw, this came out in 1975, I actually saw a decent amount of parallels between this and Halloween, uh, which came out in 1978, so about three years later, including the opening scene of the film is actually very similar to the opening of Halloween, um, and then the musical elements of it um, also reminded me a lot of John Carpenter's uh, self-scores, which is very heavy on synth and uh, steady dr uh, drum beats. Um, I did see a lot of similarities there. Um, I don't really understand some of the plot elements of this. Uh, not that I don't understand because they were complex. I just don't think they made a ton of sense. 
Um, maybe it's because some stuff was edited out, but it really did seem like uh, the killer was kind of killing uh, for no reason. They came out of like killing retirement and just started killing everyone. Um, and also the film, while trying to do misdirects, so you wouldn't guess who the killer is, objectively lied to you to make it seem like the person who was the killer could not possibly be the killer. I think that was dishonest of the film to do. I don't think films should do that where they can just directly lie to you. Um, I'm not going to get into some of the scenes, but there's like a scene at the beginning that takes place in a bathroom um, where someone meets the killer. And if you're paying attention, you think, well, that clearly eliminates several people who could be the killer, who one of them ends up actually becoming the killer. Anyway, um, this movie also had the shortest... And I don't know if this is true in the original version, but this also had the shortest final confrontation I've ever seen in a film. Like the climax final scene between the killer and our protagonist all in all probably lasted less than a minute of actual uh, back and forth. It was super quick and then the movie just ends. So I thought that was a little odd. Um, so movies ending the way this did is kind of a Dario Argento thing where it just something happens and then roll credits. You've been watching Deep Red. So uh, I thought that was okay. on brand for the director. Okay, that's good to know. And yeah, I should say like I haven't seen anything by Argento before. Um, I've heard of one of his films, which is Suspiria. I think Josh has seen that. So maybe Josh will talk about it a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't really know this director's style, so that also could contribute to why I didn't enjoy this film as much as maybe I should. There's some directors that have really distinct flair. Like, I feel like if you go into like a Wes Anderson film, not knowing anything about Wes Anderson and expecting like a certain type of film, you're going to be disappointed. But if you like Wes Anderson, you get what he's doing, you're going to love Wes Anderson films. So maybe it's the same thing with this. But overall, I thought it was I don't want to say mediocre because there were some aspects I really enjoyed. I liked the way things were filmed. I, it was fun to see this film because it's an important part of just like, it's fun to watch films that aren't known to you. Like I didn't know about this film at all. So it was fun to watch that. Um, but I just didn't really enjoy it. Uh, what about you, Len? What did you think? Yeah, so I don't really have much worthwhile to add to this conversation, unfortunately. Um, I kind of thought it was a mediocre mediocre movie, but that was largely because I was watching it on my phone on an airplane on airplane Wi-Fi while trying not to throw up complimentary peanuts uh, due to turbulence. Um, and the movie just kind of made the nauseousness worse. Um, so I'm going to have to rewatch it in a stable setting. So I'm going to have to punt that over to Josh. Wow, thank you for your input. That's really good stuff. Hey, bl blame United. Gotcha. Uh, so I think I was probably the only one in the group familiar with uh, the filmography of Dario Argento prior to this. And uh, although the only one of his movies I've seen previously is Suspiria, which I enjoyed, but it didn't really live up to the hype for me. And I think as Ezra touched on, horror movies are so hard to judge because the goalpost is moved you know every couple years there's something new that's kind of more acceptable so as ezra mentioned psycho is a great example like you know it's scary at the time and it's still creepy today but it's nothing compared to you know today's horror movies in terms of gore or or like certain content and i think that's why some horror movies like uh the shining for example like 
I think that's why it still stands out so much because it's still pretty spooky today. So I had pretty high hopes for this movie. Uh, but I also, again, recognize horror movies probably age the worst out of any genre because of the envelope continually being pushed. And like Ezra, I'll preface this by saying I watched the uh, American version, which is about 103 minutes, opposed to the Italian version, which is about 120 minutes. And the U.S. version actually removes 22 minutes, including the most graphic violence, as well as the romantic subplot. So I And I didn't find this out till after, so I'll rate the version I saw, not the version that it could have been. And I was actually really disappointed when I found that out because I thought this movie, you know, people say, oh, Psycho, Jaws, Deep Red, like a, a Paramount horror film. And so I was really disappointed that I wasn't watching the original version. Uh, the first thing that I thought needed to be mentioned was the music. I know neither of you touched on this. Uh, I thought, you know, good music, sure. But it was it was a terrible pick for this movie. It was upbeat and jazzy. And honestly, it took me out of a few scenes. Did either of you guys notice that at all? Yeah, I actually, I felt that it was more akin to like, uh, it actually fits with what you just said, jazzy and upbeat. It felt like a heist film's music. Like I could see it playing like during like Ocean's Eleven or something. So it was I good was, music, but it did not fit. I thought maybe there was a little bit of that jazz theme because our main character plays piano, but it wasn't even piano music. Uh, it didn't create any suspense or any feeling of like an impending doom common in horror movies. There was no buildup. I thought the music straight up made me laugh in certain scenes. Like, how am I supposed to take this seriously when you've got, like, kind of a saxophone group that people should be snapping to in the background? It's like the music from the scene in Spider-Man 3 where he says, dig on this, and he starts snapping. So it's also the same music group uh, that did Suspiria, and that was a point of contention for me in Suspiria as well. Uh, Plot-wise, I thought the character development was really lacking here, and we never got a sense of why our main character, Marcus, was so intent on finding the killer. Uh, you know, what was his motivation? What was his connection to the victim? I don't think we got that. And aside from this, I thought it was a decent horror flick. I'd imagine that in, like, the mid-70s, this would be a lot more shocking than it was today. Uh, I also didn't find the ending particularly poignant without getting into who the killer is too much. You know, I don't think we got any reason as to why they're killing and they're also such a minor character it's like oh this person's the killer and i'm thinking oh i saw them in one scene for a minute 55 minutes ago do i care that they're the killer but the way that the killer dies i will say i thought they nailed i won't get into how but i thought they did a really good job there as like kind of a shocking death uh and so overall i was a little disappointed in this movie but I think we're so far removed from when it came out and how much of the envelope it did push. It's really hard to judge. So going into my ratings, I gave it a three and a half. So I think it's a really hard film to judge. Uh, that being said, I erred on the side of giving it a better rating. For me, I think it would be closer to a three. But I gave it the benefit of the doubt just based on, you know, it had an 89 meta score, which is critical acclaim it has really good scores on tomatoes really positive reviews so i gave it a higher review than honestly what i thought it was uh and i think i'd love to go back maybe and watch the original italian version i was also kind of confused at how they did the dubbing so i'm glad ezra kind of talked about that uh overall i think the performances are fine nothing really stands out but we don't really get much development into any of the characters i thought that was a knock against it uh, I thought it did a good job with the gore. There were a couple creepy scenes, the whole motif with like the baby 
dolls hanging was kind of interesting, kind of spooky. But overall, you know, I thought it was good. I gave it a three and a half. What about you, Ezra? Yeah, so I gave it a three. Um, three and a half for me usually represents like average for a film. Three is a little bit below average, but by no means a bad film. Four usually means I've enjoyed the film a little more than I've enjoyed the average film. Um, it, this is my rating, but I do hope to watch the um, uh, original version at some point. I think maybe I'll get more out of it than that. And also, you know, original version is always the way to go because it's the original director's vision. Like no matter how you change it, um, it's different than it should be. Um, so what, I, yeah. So what I'll say is I gave it a three. I hope to see the original version at some point. And I think in terms of it would be, I need to do more research on its uh, history within the horror genre because maybe one of the reasons this is so well regarded is because I can't think of a horror film that came out before this that would have had so much gore. Uh, like there's a lot of blood in this film. There's some pretty creepy deaths, some pretty seriously messed up deaths, including like uh, being burned alive, which is intense. And the makeup in that's pretty gross. Um, so I should do more research to find out like how this fit into the, horror like history of horror films in general because maybe that's why it's so well received because maybe not as a not as a great film but just because of a groundbreaking film um but yeah three overall len what about you are you gonna go with an incomplete are you gonna toss it a rating what are we thinking uh i think it's gonna be a little too unfair to for me to rate this movie just because i didn't really retain much from it just because I was trying not to vomit the entire time while watching it. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch before I can accurately assess my feelings on it. So for now, I'm going to put it as an incomplete for you. That That's fair. Okay. So overall, I think Ezra and I were pretty much in agreement. Uh, I think it is important to note its historical context. So that's something maybe I'll go look up. But uh, I think for now, that concludes our review of Deep Red. For our final segment today, we are going to be doing a draft. We are going to be drafting uh, red things. It is the red draft. Uh, as you guys know, we usually pre play pretty fast and loose with rules on this pod. So a lot of things are on the board. I do want to note that I am 8-0. I've never lost a draft on this pod. I will look to continue that streak again today. And based on uh, the, the attitude of my co-hosts towards this draft i'm thinking it should be another pretty easy win so everyone out there voting for me really appreciate it the josh army you know we're rolling let's get another win today uh len you've got the first pick to start i'm going to draft the cincinnati reds the local baseball team in southwest ohio the okay. first major league baseball team the cincinnati reds is len's first pick that's a good pick that's a good pick uh, I do not have them on my board. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, kind of a podcast staple. I'm going to go ahead and take Orville Red and Bacher's popcorn with extra butter. As we are extra butter pod, I had to get some extra butter in there. Uh, so I will take I'm Orville. challenging that. I'm, I'm going to spell check that to make sure it has R-E-D in the name. It does. You're good. Okay. I'll allow it. Thanks for that. 
Uh, okay, so I'm going Orville Redenbacher's popcorn with extra butter for my first pick. Uh, Ezra, you're up. Glad to have this opportunity. So for my first pick, I'm actually, it's kind of similar to Len and Josh's. It's a man whose name is Red, but it's also sports related. It's inspired by my recent watching of Winning Time, uh, the story of the Lakers dynasty. I'm going to pick Red Arbach, one of the winningest coaches in NBA history. I had that on my list. I had that on my list. And Jewish legend, which is always important for me. Very nice. Yes, for my first pick, I will pick Red Arbach. Okay, and you've got the next pick as well. So I appreciate Josh saying that we could play a little fast and loose with uh, what we we always do. As we always do. So for my next pick, it does not contain the word red, but it is my favorite red food, and I have to go with watermelon. Summer is fast approaching, and I cannot wait to start eating those watermelons. Still, uh, even though I good pick, even good pick. though I'm allergic okay. to watermelon, I still eat watermelon because I love it so much. Okay, good pick. You know, you really came to play today, Ezra, and so I was not originally going to go with another food, but you're seeing the that only you're the only human being I know who's allergic to watermelon. Isn't watermelon 93% water? Yes. Are you allergic to water, Ezra? Yes, that's why my complexion is so poor. Anyway, good pick. Uh, So Ezra's got Red Auerbach and watermelon. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and go with cherry-flavored anything. Anything that's got that artificial cherry flavor is automatically a go for me. Ices, lollipops, uh, snow cones. Cough syrup. Yeah, cough syrup, maraschino cherries. What was that? Airheads, man. Airheads, yeah. So I'm going with just cherry-flavored, anything cherry-flavored for my next pick. Uh, Len, that leaves you with picks two and three, my friend. I'm going to go with the Woach's Strawberry Fruit Snack, the best fruit snack gummy on the market that has ever existed. It is truly delectable. Okay, good pick. So we're all going fruit in that round. Uh, Len, that leaves you with another pick. Uh, I'm going to go with red fireworks on the 4th of July. Specifically on the 4th of July? Specifically on the 4th of July. That is when it is the reddest and when it feels the most red. Okay, I'm going to go with one of my favorite video games. I'm going with Red Dead Redemption. I don't know if you guys have ever played that. It's basically GTA Red Dead Redemption 2. Is your favorite game, Ezra, I guess? It's basically GTA, but it takes place in the West. Uh, a lot of fun just going around and, and killing people in that game. Always a good time. So I'm going to go Red Dead Redemption. You can make the buffalo extinct in that game. It's fun. Yeah. Good, great game. Great game. Uh, Ezra, that leaves you with the next pick. So for nine, next next pick, I'm going to go a little deep dive into movies. Oh. Um, this Next pick comes from one of my favorite movies of all time, um, set in Cleveland, which is my second favorite Ohio city after Cincinnati, of course, is I'm going to pick uh, Ralphie's Red Ryder BB gun from the classic holiday film, A Christmas Story. Oh, I like well that. Played. The perfect well done. gift. Very well done. Now, have you ever seen the A Christmas Story house? I have not. It is on my list. Next time I come up to Cleveland, we'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's uh, right in Tremont. I've driven past it many a time. Uh, You've got the next pick as well, my friend. 
So I'm going to go with another movie one here, but this is the entire movie itself is I will pick one of the classics of one of my favorite genres, which is the spy espionage genre. Um, it's several actors at the height of their power. And I do not say this lightly because I'm going to go for the hunt for red October. Ah, interesting. Classic in the spy espionage genre starring Harrison Ford and the most Scottish Russian you've ever seen played by Sean Connery. It is incredible. Okay. That's a, that's a good pick. Thank you. Some films are underrated and there should be more of them. Mm-hmm. You really, you really, you know what? You came to play, Ezra, and I respect it. I didn't expect this kind of performance out of you. So, so submarine movies are a very eclectic genre. We, I agree. We need more of them. We need. Uh, more. So, I am also going to go with a movie character. I'm going to go with Morgan Freeman's character Red from The Shawshank Redemption. A classic. An excellent pick, Josh. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you know, as he says, "Get busy living or get busy dying." I'm going to go ahead and live with this pick because it's a good one len that gives you your fourth and fifth round picks and then you we will all get one bonus pick well in the vein of cinema i'm going to go with the uh very red man from star wars episode one darth maul and his titular his titular line i am the phantom menace don't know if he says that he does play it with subtitles okay I actually, that's a good pick. I was going to go with a Star Wars pick, but now I'm not going to. I still might for the bonus round. We'll see. You can always pick a red lightsaber. Oh, thanks. That was going to be my pick. Which Whatever. Which is going to be. Your next pick? pick. Uh, no, my next pick is Clifford the Big Red Dog. No. Damn it. Good pick. Good pick. So full spe- of love and so big and red. I was specifically going to take the theme song from Clifford the Big Red Dog with my next pick. All you time. Still could, technically speaking, there. Yeah, good, Josh. I could, but the I fact- love stealing other people's ideas. I do not love stealing fact. people. That's actually you guys who steal my ideas. You stole Why my Disney I- by numbers line earlier. Yeah, because you stole my Hulk line earlier. You whatever. Well, history, history will vindicate me. No, it won't. Anyway, uh, speaking of vindication. Uh, for my final pick, I'm going to go ahead and take the spilled blood of my enemies. Uh, so, I think you're afraid. You're afraid you're going to lose this draft. That's why it's getting violent. Uh, well, I wasn't going to pick this, but you guys have kind of inspired me to after you guys uh, you, taking you have picks on, of mine. You have, so You have them on the ropes, Ezra. Drive yeah, let's see. So I'm going with the spilled blood of my enemies as my last pick before the bonus round. Ezra, how about you? You know, I should just point out that uh, Josh keeps on threatening me no, behind the camera. No, he keeps this doing is the fake. finger no, across the throat this is not motion. true, Ezra. No, this is not true. Josh has a booty doll of Ezra on safety. camera right This is now. false. This is false. You guys are speaking falsities. Anything to knock me off the top. I get it. You guys are desperate. You're trying Ezra, to come up with something. Ezra, tap into your mic Morse code for safety. Yeah, S-O-S uh, dot dot dash dot dot dash. I don't, I don't know Morse code. Just make your pick. Um, I have failed. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, you failed at nine straight drafts. That's what you failed at because I've won every for, one of them. For my next pick, this is a pick dear to the hearts of Cincinnati people, both transplants and natives. Is It is a physical location that many a Cincinnatian has spent a nice weekend, maybe taking a hiking, camping trip, spending time with friends. I'm going to go with Red River Gorge. Ooh. Sexy pick. Hell yeah. Sexy yeah. pick, but whatever. 
Uh, Josh does not like to go outside. He's not athletic, so he, you know, he, he doesn't understand. Ezra, what happened? Ezra, what happened the time we played basketball? Which one of us went under cardiac arrest? Ezra it broke wasn't me. your ankles. I, I recall. No, Ezra you weren't there. Yes. This is this is false. Whatever. I can't believe you'd make fun of my medical emergency. Wow, that's low, Josh. I get what you said by spilled blood of your enemies, but come on, Josh. I wasn't even spilling blood. The blood was literally not pumping through my heart. Okay. Uh, whatever. Len or Ezra, do you want to go with your bonus round pick? Yeah, I will. I'm going to go with a uh, another physical location. Uh, I believe I might be the only one in this group who's been there. So I'm going to go with the Red Sea. Oh, good pick. I actually was about to pick that. Yeah, it's a nice classic work. location. Yeah, I've been to the Red uh, my Sea. My boy by Moses the way. parted it. Yep, around Passover. Uh, good pick. Good. Uh, Passover's coming up, so you best be preparing your Seder plates. True. Um, but yes, Red Sea, gorgeous location. If you get a chance, uh, you should check out either a lot or some of the uh, wonderful uh, Sinai resort towns. Um, it's a wonderful place to be. It has a great coral reef. And um, it's just uh, it's just pretty cool. That's all I can really say about it. Len, why don't you go with your next bonus pick, and then I'll go last. Okay. Because well. I don't want to. I would like to explain my pick, and I don't want you taking other things I considered with it. Fair enough. Uh, I'm going to go with the Red Scare, specifically the second Red Scare from 1947 to 1957, uh, led by Senator Joseph McCarthy. Classic movie pick, Len. Someone knows their history. I actually think that's a pretty good pick. Thank you. So I was originally, after Ezra took Red Sea, I thought about maybe going Redwood Forest. Uh, I decided not to do that. Those are some nice trees. Yeah, they are. I thought Robert Redford, great actor. Great uh, president. Yeah, but I'm going to go with Simon Rex's performance in Red Rocket. I think I'm the only one who's seen the film here, but excellent movie uh, and really a heartfelt and gutsy performance from Simon Rex in that film. Some other things I'd considered, uh, Ready Player One. Okay. Uh, Reddit. I don't have Reddit. I've been on Reddit once, but... <laughs> I thought maybe the people would like it. Overall, though, I actually had Clifford was on my list. Uh, Darth Vader's red lightsaber was on my list. You guys both nabbed those picks. That's uh, kind of the the one of the worser of the red lightsabers. In my Darth Vader's opinion. Nikon. Oh, true, true. But you know, if we're doing a Sith draft, for sure, not so much a, a red draft. Uh, red Reddington from TV's The Blacklist. Did you ever see that show? It's, it's very uh, bad. I've only seen a few episodes. Uh, other than that, what did you guys have? Anything else good on your list? No. Redheads. <laughs> Redheads. Uh, the red color army. red. The guys, color red. It's a pretty cool color. Josh's coffee mug that he's currently drinking out of. Communism. Is that red? Which is red. Right? Communism. Red. Yeah. Um, University of Cincinnati colors. Red scheme is one of their better... My favorite oh, you know what? That would have been good Looks... if I went with UC's red basketball jerseys. That would have, but that's yeah, a very those niche are great answer. jerseys. Yeah, it's a very niche answer. So, just to sum up, Len, the Cincinnati Reds, Welch's strawberry fruit snacks, red fireworks on the Fourth of July, Darth Maul, Clifford the Big Red Dog, and the Red Scare. 
I have Orville Redenbacher's popcorn with extra butter. Anything that's cherry flavored. Red Dead Redemption, red from the Shawshank Redemption. A lot of redemption on my list. Uh, the spilled blood of my enemies. And my bonus is Simon Rex's performance in Red Rocket. Uh, Ezra's got Red Hour back, Watermelon, the Red Rider BB gun from A Christmas Story, uh, the Hunt for Red October, Red River Gorge, and his bonus is the Red Sea. I think that's a pretty solid draft all around. Yeah, you know what? If I lose this yeah. one, you know, I'll be disappointed, but it will be more just I respect my opponents because I think you both really rose up and brought it. Uh, frankly, in ways I didn't think you guys were capable of, I think your guys' past performances have demonstrated how poor you are at these drafts and just how much better I am. I so, had you on the ropes for the sports draft. Uh, you mean the sports draft, which I won? Rigged election. No. It's it's all political, you know. It's who you know. It's the insiders. He's rigging the know. algorithm. It's, it's, it's all a scam. Right. You know, he just doesn't Excuses. like us because we're a couple mavericks coming in. You know, he, he is the coastal the elite. Ezra and I are among the people. We are the grassroots revolution. Excuses are the refuge of losers. Sounds like an excuse. Yeah, you would know. You're the one making them. Oh, Ooh. got him. Anyway, Ezra, so... whose team are you on? <laughs> I appreciate a good burn. Classic red. Am I right? The red of the burn. I'm yeah. Just saying. Yeah, that would have been going. Uh, by the way, though, I really like your Clifford pick, Len, because I legitimately was about to pick the theme song from Clifford, the Big Red Dog after. Maybe that's what I'll end the podcast with, because that's a great, great tune. That would have been better music than the music in Dario Argento's 1976 film, Deep Red. So for that, uh, thanks for being with us in our Red episode. I, I hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder, you can always give us a follow on Twitter at extra underscore butter pod uh, on Facebook. I think we're just extra butter podcast. Uh, so for Len and Ezra, thanks for tuning in. We'll see everyone next week. Clifford needed Emily, so she chose him for her own. And her love made 